0: When I was about 17 or 18 years old, I found a file on my dad's computer, which sounds really bad, but, uh, and it was in some ways, in some ways. I remember the file was called, um, something like Nick Letter, and I, I was on his work computer, and from time to time, I would, um... You know, I would go there and I would check my emails or I would look at whatever, Facebook, whatever it was. And um, I saw this file on his desktop. It said Nick Letter or something like that. And I opened it and I immediately realized it was not for my eyes. But I also immediately realized it was all about me. And so so I shouldn't have, but I kept reading anyway. And um, I would say that what I found in that letter changed my life dramatically. So my dad was... Um, an executive pastor at our church growing up. And unbeknownst to me, at that point anyway, um, one of the elders had called for my dad's resignation because of me. My brothers and I, um, we played music. Uh, We played in bands at the time, and we would occasionally get featured in the local newspaper. We didn't grow up in a super big town, so if there was a young rock and roll band playing, it was kind of news. I'll let you see... A couple uh, photos of that now. These are real newspaper clippings um, of your worship pastor, believe it or not. And um, the music that we played at that time, it was not only like secular music, right, as Christian people called it or call it, but it was not the kind of secular music that older Christian people liked. And this got my dad in a lot of hot water. And so to make matters worse, this elder was actually the former lead pastor of our church. And not only that, but he was the current lead pastor's father. So there was all this whole succession, father down to son, but he stayed on the elder board. And this man, he's a wonderful man. Uh, he had mentored my father in the faith for, I don't know, two decades maybe. And in retrospect, I realized that him calling for my dad's resignation based on all this stuff was incredibly painful for my parents to walk through. And so reading through that letter and the subsequent conversations with my parents, because I went and I said, hey, what on earth is going on with our church? Um, I would say it changed the course of my life pretty significantly. And maybe you can imagine um, how it felt to be at the epicenter of the massive controversy, what eventually became a church split at the age of 17 or 18. It was weird. And um, maybe you felt that way before that the spotlight was on you right when at a at a fairly young age at a time that you were fairly uncomfortable with that now when a, a lot of kids find files on dad's computer it's not exactly pretty if you know what i mean they're snooping around finding files on their dad's computer it's not always it's not always a good thing but here's what's interesting is that i found out that in my spare time my dad was writing a thesis paper defending me in my musical journey at the age of 17 or 18, looking like a hooligan like this, like you see in the picture there. But what's more than that, I probably don't have to tell you, at 17 or 18, I wasn't exactly the most stand-up citizen. Right? I wasn't at the height of my maturity at that point in my life. And I wasn't the worst teenager. I wasn't going and, like, getting drunk and sleeping with girls and all this, maybe. But uh, I wasn't the greatest either. I was a class clown, and I got in a fair amount of trouble, and I spent most of my spare time reading back issues of Rolling Stone that I got from the library, and chasing girls, and trying to get as far away from church music as I could. I hated it. And yet, somehow, in all of that, my father could see my purpose. He and my mom and other people at our church had been telling me that I should be a worship pastor since I, like, picked up an instrument. I don't know why. I don't know what even they saw in me at that time. But even though I was on this like really reckless kind of musical journey, they saw me and they saw my calling. And not only that, but they stuck their neck out for me. They saw my purpose and they sacrificed for it. They made incredible sacrifices. My dad actually put his job on the line for it. Some of this I didn't know until years later. We've had recent conversations about it. My dad, he he risked in a really big way, hoping that I would see in me what he saw in me. And I don't take that lightly. We are in um, our Advent season, right? The whole church globally has, has celebrated this for thousands of years. And this year, we've decided as a church to focus in on a particular passage from Isaiah 9 that talks about who God is. It's, it's a prophetic passage. So many theologians call Isaiah um, like the gospel of the Old Testament. And we've chosen this passage out of Isaiah 9. It's one of those prophetic passages And we're going through um, the titles of God that are given in that passage, kind of one by one. There's four titles in it, and this week we're going to talk about Him as Everlasting Father. But I want to read that for us as we get started. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on His shoulders. And He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So as I said, we're going through one of those, uh, one of those titles each week, right? And this week, we're going to be talking about the idea of God as an everlasting father, Now, Tim Kurth preached last week, and he kind of hinted at this. He asked a question, and he kind of gave a nod to this. What does it mean to view God as a father? Or how do you struggle or not struggle with that? But this week, I want to ask the question really bluntly. It might even get uncomfortable. What does it mean for God to be your everlasting father? Pretty much any time the idea of father gets mentioned in church... Uh, or an American church, anyway. These days, we bring up what I think is an important point: that the idea of father has been stained for many of us, right? For many people, actually, it might bring you an incredible amount of anxiety just that word, father, because maybe it's because your own father wasn't there at all. Maybe he was there, but he wasn't very emotionally available. Maybe your father hurt you in some big way that that really was impactful. It's tough to talk about fathers, especially in our culture. Statistics about fatherhood in America are heartbreaking. 39% of school-age kids don't have a biological father living with them. We currently live, right now in the United States, we live statistically in the most fatherless generation that we've ever seen where the fathers weren't away at war. Right, The only other generation that's seen more, more absent fathers in the home was World War II, and that's when the fathers were fighting a war. Fatherlessness, we talk about a pandemic this year. Fatherlessness is definitely an epidemic in our culture. So I don't take it lightly. I have talked to many of you and many other friends outside our church about how hard it is to talk about God as Father. I get that. There's a Christmas movie. You may or may not have seen before called elf who's seen that one i want all the kids if you've seen that movie turn to your parent and do your best buddy the elf impersonation pick your favorite quote we do we have a lot of quotes from buddy around our house we've watched this one for the last three or four years running with our kids you sit on a throne of lies etc etc um, there's a newer um, documentary about the making of the movie Elf and and really what's happened. It's become a really quick Christmas classic for uh, a whole lot of reasons. But one thing they bring up in the documentary is that it's not just that Will Ferrell is really funny, right? He is funny and the, the movie has a bunch of stars and they're singing and there's it hits all the great Christmas points. But there's a universal theme in the movie about searching for a father, Right about feeling that deep longing to have a father and um, and wanting in this picture, I think actually symbolizes it pretty well in a goofy Will Ferrell kind of way. Will Ferrell, of course, in the movie, if you haven't seen it, he's searching for his real father throughout the movie. So it's it's a fair point to point out that me personally, I told you a little story of my dad to start today. It's a fair point, I think, to say that I and maybe some of you have what I might call father privilege, right? Not only did I have a dad, but he was a dad who really cared for my well-being. He taught me loads of stuff. My dad told me that he loved me. My dad stuck his neck out for me. He was generally a good guy. I learned lots of things from him. And I understand that that the vast majority of people, either A, didn't have a dad, or B, didn't have a dad that loved them very well. And so I realize as we talk about this theme this morning, you you're carrying that many of you with you. But I believe this. I think that this feeling alone, this like deep guttural feeling that Buddy the Elf and the movie Elf kind of talks about in a lighthearted way, but you and I might feel in a very deep kind of way. I think it points to something that's maybe the greater thing. It points to the fact that we were created to be loved by a father. In fact, I would even say we were created to be loved perfectly by a father. We may not have experienced it, but this is what we were created for. The, the longing to be loved perfectly by a father is in our DNA. It's hardwired into our brains. It's written on our hearts. It's inescapable. It's a part of the human experience that we long to have a father and we long to be loved by them. So even if that deep longing is not a good one because we had such an absence. You have that feeling of like that hole in your heart because you didn't have the dad that you should have had. I still believe it still tells us something about ourselves and tells us something about God as Father. There's a C.S. Lewis quote that I like. He says, If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there were no light in the universe, and therefore there were no creatures with eyes, we would never know it was dark. Dark would be without meaning. In a similar way, I believe that um, if we feel this longing for fatherhood, I even feel it. And I, I, I mentioned, I've got, I have a great dad. He was good. He still is good. I even still feel I want to be loved well by my dad. And he would tell you, be the first to tell you he's never done that perfectly. We all have this. What does this tell us about the way that we're created and what we are created for? What do, we, what do we hope that God is to us as a perfect father, even if we didn't see it, even if we couldn't see it from our earthly father? What do we hope that God is? Because the truth is that no matter what we hope for, God is actually even better than that. He's more perfect than that. Our minds can't actually grasp how good God is. The letter of James, one of my, per, one of my favorite verses, talks about this. It says, Every good and perfect thing comes to us from God the Father good and perfect things, that's what he has in store for us. So even if our worst experiences with our human fathers or people we trust, even in those awful experiences, we have this longing for perfect love, for perfect fatherhood embedded into us. I highly encourage you to Google the, um, the idea of God is Father, or look through a concordance, you know, look through something, look through the scriptures and just, I've I've got a few that I want to highlight this morning, but there's literally, there's just like this seemingly endless, so many hundreds of verses that talk about God as a father, where he uses this analogy of father to relate to us. It's really vast. So I encourage you to do that sometime. If this is something that stirs something for you, I've said this before. I believe that it's true that, um, Every anxiety and fear that we have ultimately stems from our doubt whether God is really a good father or not. So getting this right, I would say, uh, uh, there's a better way to say it. For lack of a better word, getting this idea right that God is good father, right? In terms of our doctrine or our theology, the things that we think about God, getting that one point right is really, 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 really important. He's a father to us. He's a perfect father to us. Psalm 68 says that God is a father to the fatherless. Not only does he know and he sees those that have not, been, um, have not had the proper biological father here on earth, but he is a father to them. He has a special place in his heart for them. If that's you this morning, if you're listening and you're like, I didn't have the dad that I should have had or my dad wasn't around, I don't even know my dad, know that you have a special place in God's heart. Second Corinthians, Paul writes that the father, the God is the father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. God's watched you all year long. God's watched you all lifelong since before you were born when you were in your mother's womb. He's seen you. He's seen the pain that you have been through and he cares about it. Another psalm says that God actually collects our tears. It's a poetic way of talking about how God sees the affliction. He sees the pain, the suffering that you've been through and he wants to comfort you in that. Maybe the most moving thing that I think that we can understand about God's fatherhood is that he actually sent his son Jesus. Right? We talk about this, we talk about the gospel all the time, but I want you to take a moment this morning. I know it's weird, we're on Zoom, I know that it's probably you're maybe sitting with your family, it may be distracting, but just think about this with me for a minute. God sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us. To die for our sins so that we could have a Holy Spirit-filled resurrection life, that we could live forever with him. And it was for nothing that we did. We didn't do anything to deserve it, right? Like, for free, he gave this to us as a gift. Like when we were being awful teenagers, right? Or in our spiritual, in a spiritual sense, we're being like awful teenagers. Romans, Book of Romans says it like this, Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. While we were being awful. While we were being being like bratty kids or bratty teenagers. God sent Jesus to die for us. Think think about this with me for a second. Um, I've done this before, but I think it's a really important thing because I think this is this is the gospel. I want you to think about in your head. You don't need to say it out loud. This isn't confession time. I want you to think about the your worst moment in life, the worst thing that you ever did. Right, the thing. It might be a thing you've never even told anyone. Think about that with me for a second. That's the moment that Jesus came to die for, right? In your worst moment, God loved you so much as a father. He saw so much in you that he had made you to be good, and maybe you had spoiled that really, really, really badly. And in some moments, if you're like me, it's really bad. And it's easy for me to think that God loves me when I'm being good, right? Because with our earthly fathers or with male figures or our bosses or whoever, it's like we, we, want to, um, we want to impress them. And we think if we perform really well, then they'll love us more. And God wants us to know, God wants you to know this morning, that is not the way that it works with him. He loves you really well in your worst moments. His love for you is perfect. You don't have to perform for him to get the merit of Jesus that was given to you for free. It was given, what an amazing gift to celebrate. When you open up God's computer and there's a a file with your name on it, (laughs) and you open up that file, it's a thesis paper written about how much he loves you, even in your worst moments, of him defending you. You open up that file and there's a picture of Jesus on the cross. And it's a, it's a, it's a, explanation of what God could see in you before you could see it in yourself so that you could become everything that he made you to be through his Holy Spirit. You may not have ever experienced God that way before. And so today I want to, um, I want to pray over this. We're going to um, move into a time of communion, but first I'd like to Pray. So wherever you're at, whether you're alone with your family, whoever, um, just take a deep breath and a posture of prayer. For some of us, that means closing our eyes or bowing our heads, whatever's comfortable for you in your home. And I want you to take a few moments and just recognize God's loving presence there with you in your home. God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God, we read this this morning. We think about this idea of fatherhood, and um, even even in the best moments, I feel like we're a mess, Lord. Whether those listening had a good, a great dad an okay dad, a terrible dad, a dad that wasn't there. We all have this longing, and and frankly, even the best of dads can't fill it because we have a longing to be perfectly loved. A deep longing that can only be filled by you and what you've done, sending Jesus, sending us your spirit. God, I pray as we've reflected on some, frankly, kind of hard things this morning, things that can be hard, topics that can be tough, that you would meet each and every person in that space. Holy Spirit, come and fill these homes represented on this Zoom call. How beautiful to see into homes. I pray that your spirit would fill that place, that your fatherhood would fill that place, that we would see it, God, that you would send people to each and every person listening this morning that would show the sense of your fatherhood. As we go into a time time of the holiday season, Lord, I pray that you would actually be mending father relationships, fathers to sons and daughters. Lord, more than anything, maybe, I, I pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, our spirit, that we would be able to receive your love. There's a lot of blockades for that sometimes. We've built up a lot of things, a lot of pride, a lot of insecurity. And when we get love, we don't often know what to do with it. Lord, I pray that you would help us shed those things today, that we could receive your love. That in the weird time of a pandemic, that you would give us new modes and means to receive your love, new graces and mercies in those quiet moments, in the crazy moments with at home with family or trying to do school or work or whatever online, that you would send your love and give us the ability to receive it. That's the greatest gift of all. God, we thank you for sending Jesus. We did not earn it. We didn't deserve it. In fact, we were at the place when we deserved it the least. And this is where the gospel meets us, and we thank you for that. Thank you for Jesus. We remember that today, and in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to move into a time of communion, and um, I mentioned this earlier, but if you haven't already, you may want to grab whatever supplies you have for communion. And I asked Brennan if he would sing over us this morning, and this be our commun- communion meditation. That, um, this, one of my favorite hymns, how deep the Father's love for us. It spells out in some really beautiful and poetic language um, the cross and what, G- what God did in sending Jesus to us. And so I asked him to sing that over us this morning. So as you take communion, you can just, um, you can pray and you can listen to the words of this song as we remember Jesus and his work on the cross.